Now, I want to begin by asking this question. It might sound like a strange question, but how much longer do you think you'll be around? Now, I don't mean of how much longer do you think you'll be around here at Genesis today, but like literally on the planet Earth, how much longer do you think you'll be around? Now, I'm guessing that's probably not a question that you think about all that often, right? It's kind of a weird question. It's kind of even maybe a dark question of why would I be thinking about how much longer I'm going to be here on the planet? Uh, It leads to maybe depression or discouragement, that kind of thing. Uh, But I think we don't think about questions like that all that much, partly because we're more consumed with thinking about just trying to make it through today. We're often just thinking a ton about what happened yesterday or what happened in the days before. Maybe we're thinking a ton about what didn't happen today or in the days before. We're often just giving our minds to thinking about what we really hope hope happens in the days to come. Again, it's not bad to think of forwards and backwards, but one of the things that I've been really being hit with in a very fresh way uh, as I've been sitting in Scripture is these three words, just for now. This idea that everything is literally just for now. It's all momentary. Everything we see, everything that we have, it is literally all just for now. It is all momentary. So keeping with this idea of just for now, that it's all momentary, uh, the question that we are asking in this series that we started last week is this, how will you use what God has placed in your hands just for now to invest in the kingdom of God? God's put something in each of our hands. He's put stories and experiences. He's put relationships. He's put friendships. He has put resources, he's put skills and and jobs and uh, and different gifts and abilities. God has put something in our hands, so how can we use what God has placed in our hands just for now, just to help a few people catch a glimpse of God, just to help people see who God is and what God is like and to see what His kingdom is like. Now, for today, we wanted to talk about something that is not talked about all that much. It's talked about actually a ton in culture. The movies that we watch and the TV shows and the songs that we sing and the things that we read, it's talked a lot about in culture, but it's not talked about hardly ever in church. And what we're talking about today is something that has been or one day will be common to all of us here, regardless of your age, regardless of your gender, but something that is common to all of us, it either has been common or will be common, is singleness. Now, I say has been common because it's safe to say that no one here got married within your first two, three, two or three weeks of being on the planet, right? Most of us spent the first three decades of our life with singleness in our hands. And I say three decades because the research now shows that most people are getting married towards their later 20s. So most people are going to spend the first three decades of their life with singleness in their hands. Now, I also say will be single because unless you die at the exact same moment as your spouse, well, you will be single at some point this side of heaven again. Now, for Kyla and I, uh, Kyla is my wife, we will celebrate this coming Friday uh, our 22nd anniversary of being together. 
Now, that is also a public announcement that Valentine's Day is this Friday, so just be prepared. But as I look back at my singleness, I've been single, uh, I've been married for 22 years. And so for the last 22 years, it hasn't been in my hands. But as I look back to when singleness was in my hands, here's what I remember most about singleness. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I viewed singleness as something that I just had to endure and survive and do the best I could to get out of as quickly as possible. The other thing I remember about when I was single is I was wicked and secure. So I had to just be in different relationships. I couldn't handle being by myself. And so I just had to be in different relationship. And if that ended, I had to get into another relationship because I was just so insecure with who I was. And so I figured if I was in a relationship, that would make me feel a little bit less insecure. And I think the thing that I remember most about when I had singleness in my hands was that I completely wasted it. Completely wasted it, meaning I was so focused on myself. I couldn't think much beyond myself in my years of singleness of what I wanted and when I wanted it and how I was going to make that happen. I was just so self-centered, so self-focused in my singleness that looking back, I just missed what God actually had for me in the midst of singleness in my hands. Now, as I look back to when singleness was in my hand, I don't remember anyone, what I do remember actually is everyone telling me this one message. And the one message that I remember everyone telling me was this, hang in there, Michael, you'll get married one day. That was the message I heard over and over, hang in there, Michael, you'll get married one day. And the underlying message in that is marriage is the goal. Marriage is the pinnacle that if you are not married, you are somehow missing the goal of life, that you've not reached the pinnacle of life. Now, culturally speaking, it certainly feels like marriage is the goal, doesn't it? I mean, isn't the script that we're often has, uh, we have put before us is you go to school, you figure out what you're going to do in terms of job and career, hopefully you'll meet that guy or that girl in your schooling years, establish your career, get some money in the bank, then get married, then have some kids, then get a house, and then just repeat the cycle over for the next generation. Then when you're kids, you start, hey, you got to go to school. You've got to get a job. You've got to meet the guy, meet the girl. Isn't culturally speaking that the message that we give to people? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this, but if you're a parent and you've got, you know, kids, have you ever told your kids, hey, I want you to know that singleness is a really good option that you should consider? Have we ever told our children that message that singleness is a really good option that you might consider? Now, I'm not talking about the fathers telling your daughters, like, singleness is a really good option for you. I'm guessing we don't tell our kids because the idea is, well, you're not going to be happy in life if you are not married. Now, maybe we don't come out directly and say it like that, but isn't that the underlying message that we often give? And I think it's often very subtle and it's very discreet. We don't even know that we're doing this, but it also shows up in the questions that we ask people. We'll ask people the question, so are you married? And that might seem like a really simple and a harmless question that we can ask, 
but our response to their answer when they say, well, no, I'm not, it communicates a lot. Meaning we maybe don't say anything in response, but the look on our face when they say, no, I'm not married is, wow, what a bummer it is to be you. We might not say it, we might not give voice, but the look on our face often communicates that. And it really only serves to communicate the bigger idea that being single is kind of like having a disease. No one wants it, can't find a cure for it, but it must be a bummer to be you if you are single. And so I guess I've just been wondering if how we think about singleness, how we even think about marriage, and we're going to talk about marriage next week, I wonder if how we're thinking about these things is actually driven more by what culture has to say about how we should approach and think and navigate singleness in our hands rather than what God actually has to say about singleness. So the question that I'm asking today is, well, what does the Bible actually have to say about singleness? What does God have to say if, uh, to uh, those who have singleness in our hands? This is a really important question for many reasons, but I'll highlight two. Two reasons. Number one is, according to the most recent census that was taken, over 45% of the U.S. population is single. That would mean 110 million people over the age of 18 currently have singleness in their hands. And to me, it would be an absolute travesty for that many people to buy into the cultural idea that marriage is the end-all, be-all goal of life. Don't get me wrong, I am thankful for my marriage, marriage is good, but nowhere in Scripture will you ever be able to find a verse that will tell you that marriage is the goal of your life. Marriage is good, it's, it's gift, all those things, but it's not the goal of life. And the second reason why we need to think through what does God have to say about singleness is God is not silent on singleness, meaning he has much to say in the scriptures about singleness. Now, if we don't understand with clarity what God has to say about singleness, if that's what God's put in our hands, then much like what my story is of I wasted it. I spent more time trying to get out of it than actually see what God has for me in it, completely miss it. I just don't want 110 million people to miss what God actually has put in their hands. So what does the Bible actually have to say to us? What does God have to say to us about singleness? Is it really a curse? Is it really a disease? Is the idea of singleness, it's like you're a senior in high school, but you're just stuck on the freshman team. You just can't seem to get off that team, but you really want to be off that team. What does God have to say to us about singleness? Now, I think many people would quickly just kind of skip over the Old Testament completely and jump to the New Testament of what does the New Testament have to say about singleness? But if we're going to understand really the New Testament message, we need to first understand and look at what did the Old Testament actually have to say about singleness? Now, this might surprise you, but in the Old Testament, singleness was despised by the people of God. Singleness was absolutely despised by the people of God. Because the people of God took God very seriously on the commandment that God gave in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 28, then God blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. 
Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So to remain single was considered to be disobedient to God's primary command. And so marriage and childbearing in that culture with these people became the primary sign or the standard of God's blessing on one's life, that if you're married and had kids, you must be one who is blessed by God. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a handful of people that we know their story, and we know that their story God had entrusted to them in their hands, singleness. One person in particular, his name uh, is Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 16, this is what God told Jeremiah about singleness. Start at verse 1. The Lord gave me another message. Do not get married or have children in this place. For this is what the Lord says about children born here in the city and about their mothers and fathers. They will die from terrible diseases. No one will mourn for them or bury them, and they will lie scattered on the ground like manure. They will die from war and famine, and their bodies will be food for the vultures and the wild animals. All right, singleness for Jeremiah was a sign of impending doom and judgment. Well, that's pretty encouraging. So the connection is singleness is just this picture of just doom and God's judgment on people. Now, to best understand, again, what God has to say about singleness in the Bible, we need to understand first the attitudes and the perceptions that people had towards singleness in the Old Testament, because if we don't, then we're going to miss altogether how Jesus flipped singleness on its head when He arrived. So when Jesus, an unmarried Messiah, comes bursting forth on the scene, he was not silent or quiet on people's wrong ideas and assumptions that they had been making for generations about singleness. Listen to what Jesus says when he's having a discussion with some religious leaders about marriage and divorce and singleness. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 19, for there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're not familiar with uh, a eunuch, well, a eunuch is someone who is a male who had been castrated. Now, if you're not familiar with castration, uh, just ask Siri later and she will tell you. The reason for someone... Being a eunuch, largely in Jesus' culture, is eunuchs were entrusted with protecting and guarding high-ranking officials who had women in their household. So Jesus identified there's two types of eunuchs. There's one type who's born that way, then there's another type that's actually made that way by other people. But then did you catch that Jesus introduces us to a third type of eunuch, Those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. There are those who will choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, again, Jews, the people of God would have seen this as absolutely reprehensible because to be single would be to neglect the primary command to go forth and to multiply. 
But what Jesus does here is something that no one even thought possible. He makes a connection, a connection between singleness and the kingdom of God. So the question these religious leaders would be asking themselves would be, what does singleness have to do with the kingdom of God? Because in the Old Testament, expansion of God's kingdom was through physical reproduction or physical multiplication. Thus, if you're single, you're excluded from the kingdom of multiplying or growing the kingdom of God. But Jesus does something that no one else had ever done before. Jesus redeems singleness. Jesus redeems singleness. And how does he do that? Well, Jesus tells us that investing in and expanding the kingdom of God will not be by means of physical reproduction, but by spiritual reproduction. Consider the very, one of the very final things that Jesus actually told anyone that was going to follow him. Uh, men, women, all the folks that were following Jesus, this is one of the final commands that Jesus gives in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven, this is Matthew 28, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you notice what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't say, go find a wife. Go, go find a husband. Go get in that relationship because that's the goal, right? Jesus doesn't do that. The procreation mandate given to Adam is now reissued by Jesus. Go multiply spiritual children. Go multiply spiritual children. I have three kids, 16, 15, and 13. I love my kids. Super thankful for each of my kids. But if I only have three kids in my lifetime, I've completely missed out on the mission of God for my life. I love my kids, don't get me wrong, but if I only have three in my lifetime, I've completely missed out on the mission of God for my life, because I hope that in my lifetime, I would have thousands. I hope that I would have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of spiritual children. If God has placed singleness in your hands just for now, if he has placed singleness in your hands just for now, make spiritual children. In fact, make thousands of spiritual children. One of the New Testament teachings by a single man named the Apostle Paul teaches on marriage and singleness in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And one of the things in Paul's teaching is he makes very clear that single people actually have a tremendous advantage over those who choose the path of marriage. And this is in 1 Corinthians in terms of an advantage over investing in the kingdom of God. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 32. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work, and thinking about how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. 
I am saying this for your benefit. Saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Now, Paul is not saying that marriage is bad. Paul's not saying that marriage is wrong or that marriage is sinful, but I don't want us to miss what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, if God has placed singleness in your hands just for now, then use your singleness to invest in the kingdom of God. Use what He's given you to invest in the kingdom of God. I don't think any one of us would look at the Apostle Paul and be like, what a wasted life. I can't believe he didn't find a girl and, you know, get the house on the outskirts of Jerusalem and can't believe he didn't do that. I don't think any one of us would say, Paul, what a loser. I can't believe he didn't do the marriage thing. I think actually all of us would say of Paul, man, that guy used this momentary life to invest in the kingdom of God. I think all of us would come to that conclusion that he didn't waste anything, but he used what God had given him to invest in the kingdom of God. If I'm being completely honest with you, I think the reason so many married people struggle to make their marriage about the kingdom of God is because of this one reason. They did not make their singleness about the kingdom of God. I see a lot of marriages that struggle. And so much of their struggle is rooted in what they didn't do in singleness. If in your singleness you're not investing in the kingdom of God, I promise you, if you do get married at some point, it won't become an investment that you now just start to make. If in your singleness you're not making spiritual children, as Jesus has called all people to do, then I promise you, if you do get married, that won't just start to naturally happen because you got married. I'm not saying that to discourage you. I'm just reiterating what Paul says. In marriage, you will have interests that are divided. Too many people think that, you know what? Once I get married, I'll start doing those things that I know I probably should be doing now. Once I get married, I will start doing that only to discover that in marriage that what you promise yourself that you would start doing is now just one of many things on a very long list of other things that you need to do. What I wish someone would have told me in my years of singleness, when God had put that in my hands, I wish someone would have just simply said, Michael, what you do in singleness will be amplified in marriage. I wish someone would have told me that. Michael, what you are doing in singleness will not disappear in your marriage. It will actually only be amplified in your marriage. And so my encouragement is if you are one that God has placed singleness in your hands just for now, and whether it's for the next six months, for the next six years, or for your lifetime, invest in walking with God above all things. Do that now. And I promise you, if God puts marriage in your hands at some point, you will continue to walk with the same God that you walked with in singleness. Invest in your purity now. Do that. And I promise you, if you, God puts marriage in your hands at some point, you will continue to honor your wife and honor your husband with purity because you had already established that as a rhythm of your life. Invest in 
being generous in your singleness. And I promise you that if God puts marriage in your hands at some point, you will continue to live out the generosity that you had already been doing when singleness was in your hands. Invest in the mission of Jesus. If God has put singleness in your hands, then invest in the mission of Jesus, which is to make spiritual children. And I promise you, if God places marriage in your hands at some point, you will continue to do in marriage what you had been doing in singleness and investing in spiritual children. What you need to know is that the reverse of these things are just as true. Meaning, if you are neglecting your walk with God in singleness, do not think that once you get married, you'll start walking with God and it will be easy. Do not think that if you do get married at some point, that all your issues with purity will just magically go away. Too many guys that I meet with. Michael, must be so easy being married because you can just have sex anytime you want. And they don't take their purity and their singleness seriously thinking, well, gosh, once I get married, all of my problems with pornography or all my problems with sexual sin will just mysteriously and magically disappear. I promise you, it will not disappear. Generosity. Well, you know what? It's really hard being on one income, and I promise, like, hey, once we start getting two incomes going, we're going to be so crazy generous. You won't. You won't. I promise you, if the mission of Jesus is not the mission of your life now, in marriage, it will not just mysteriously become your mission if God puts marriage into your hands. Another way to say all of this is what is absent in singleness will be magnified uh, as absent in your marriage. What is absent in singleness will be magnified as absent in your marriage. I want you to know that singleness is not just preparation for marriage. Singleness is not training ground to get married one day. Singleness, if that's in your hands, is to be used to invest in the kingdom of God. If God sees fit to put something different in your hand, then that's God's prerogative. But if he doesn't, then do not waste another moment of your life waiting for something to happen one day, completely missing what God's trying to do in your life and through your life today. I wanted to invite my friend Stephanie uh, Jacob uh, to come up. Stephanie. Let's clap for Stephanie. I realize you have no idea why you're clapping for Stephanie, but um, when we were thinking about uh, this series and uh, specifically this message on if God's placed singleness in your hands, uh, we wanted to say, God, is there someone that is doing singleness really, really well? Like they're honoring you and they're really, they've God, you put it in their hands, and they're being faithful with what you've given them. Stephanie was the first person that we thought of. Not because Stephanie is perfect. She's pretty close. Uh, but because she's navigating what God has given to her just for now really well. So that's why Stephanie is here. And so, Steph, if you would, just give us a brief background on just your story, quick testimony, as it were. Um, so I was born in Egypt, um, and although I grew up in the States, I felt like I grew up in Egypt because my parents were really strict growing up. 
Um, I also have an older brother who's really protective of me. So if you added a protective brother to the mix of strict parents, it meant that I couldn't date, um, especially until I'm 40 or so, my dad says. Um, but on a more serious note, I think that being able to grow up with um, parents who really led my brother and I in faith um, really molded me. And, um, and even though I did have that, it wasn't really until my junior year of college that my faith really became my own. Yeah. Um, singleness is in your hands now, so just give us kind of a, the brief story of that and where you're at with that. Um, I feel like growing up um, in the strict household that I did, um, I didn't really date in high school. It wasn't the thought. And when I went to college, I was really focused on my academics and the ministry that I was a part of. Um, so I didn't really seek it out. Um, however, I did. Um, I was able to invest in the ministry that I was a part of in school, which was really wonderful. And then when I graduated, I was just really focused on what I wanted to do, um, where God was calling me, finding my home church, which here I am. Hmm. Um, so that was really what I was focused on. Um, you know, currently I'm 26, and uh, to this day, I've never actually really dated or been in a relationship, and that is something that I used to be so ashamed of um, because I was like, God, like, well, what's wrong with me? Um, but, you know, that's something I've learned to appreciate because I'm not the type to just date, and um, I found that God has protected me from a lot because of that. And um, in the moments when I've tried to become that person, um, God would literally have whoever it is I was talking to ghost me. And I'm like, Lord, like, I know I prayed for that, but I didn't want you to really answer that prayer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, all right, so singleness has been put in your hands. Uh, no idea, obviously, how long that will be. Uh, but how are you using singleness just to help other people just catch a glimpse God, Jesus, and his kingdom. So while I was preparing for this, I learned that um, one of the definitions for single is actually whole. Um, and I feel that he's been using me to share that with people, um, to, to tell them about him and to, to, have them, to have them know that he wants to make them whole. And it's been funny because I thought God was using me for that purpose, but he's been really just trying to get me to see the condition of my own heart and seeing what parts of my life I have not given to him to make whole. Um, I feel that others around me see Jesus when I am being vulnerable and willing to open up and share about what he's doing in my life. Uh, it's been hard. So how have you navigated just the realities that it's been hard? So what have you learned through all of that? Um, it took me a very long time to learn that um, I am single, not because I'm undesirable, but rather because God has me here um, in this season to really mold me and make me into the woman that I'm supposed to become. Um, feeling undesirable um, really stinks. It's not the best feeling in the world. And, um, you know, when that lingers in my mind, I always have to rebuke it because if I don't, it, I, I will spiral from there. Um, I had a friend once tell me, Steph, you know, we just got to get you to a bar and just see the first guy that you see and just go for it. You know, no strings, no strings attached. And it's difficult to live in a culture where um, that is the expectation that you will get married, um, that you will get married um, just as it is the expectation that you will make it to a certain level within your education. Um, but I also can't compromise my standards or um, compromise my values to achieve that because then the story becomes about me and not about God. And if I want people to see God in me, then I have to do it his way. Yeah. Um, and then finally, um, I want to emphasize it is, not, it is hard to be single um, when you desire the opposite of singleness. But I think through that, God has really taught me that... Um, I'm not alone. Singleness is not equal alone. Mm. And it took me time to believe that. Um, and there are moments in my life when I do feel alone and 
um, I have to seek God with everything in me. And um, he's really blessed me by putting friends in my life who celebrate me and celebrate um, every accomplishment, celebrate every um, time God reveals something new to me. Um, I think that's been really key for me. So in a room this size with this many people, um, I don't know, maybe it's half. Uh, our singleness is in their hands. What would your challenge or encouragement be to those who have singleness in their hands just for now? Say three things. The first one is singleness is not equal alone, and being in a relationship does not take away that feeling of alone. And the only thing that will diminish that feeling of alone is really just communion with Christ. Hmm. Um, The second thing is celebrate. Celebrate your singleness. It is fun. Um, My friends and I, we we have a blast. Um, We will celebrate every, like when I got into grad school or when I got my job promotion or when they got their job promotions or um, whenever God's doing anything in our lives, we're always celebrating that um, because when you're able to see God move in your life, you're, you get excited to see what's next. Um, and then finally, I would say don't put your life on hold, like not until you get married. Don't, don't think like that. Um, as cliche as it may sound, live your life now, go travel now, and I'd say even more than that, ask God and let it be a prayer that God would break your heart for what breaks his, because then when you're able to see that, then you invest in that, um, and God doesn't have you here to, to make you miserable, um, rather to have him, to have you experience him away this season that's essential for the next. How about married people? What encouragement or challenge uh, would you give to those that have now marriage in their hands just for now? I would say change how you view single people. Um, Can you say that again? Change, I don't know if people oh, heard that. Yeah, change how you view single people. Okay. Um, don't go up to a single person and say, hey, singleness is a gift. Because my first thought is, well, Lord, does it come with a receipt? Because, hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but rather encourage them and share with them the mistakes that you made in your singleness and what you wish you can go back and do. Because ultimately, you know, there is purpose to singleness the same way that there's purpose to marriage. And um, the final thing I'd say is that people who are single are also leading fun and productive lives. And, um, you know, my friends, they're here and they're serving two or three services and they're always running after God, even though it's hard and always trying to figure out what does it mean to invest in the kingdom? Where in their lives are they, are they lacking doing that? Um, You know, we're all in a part in our lives where we see or we finally realize that God does not fund plans that are not his. And yeah. so we don't want to live outside of that. It's just not worth it. Yeah. 